Hello? Hello? Who are you? I feel as though you've been here before. I am Pinocchio. I'm a boy. And I think I'm... dead. Ah, yes. I see. The wooden boy with the borrowed soul. My sister's folly. The sentimental fool. She gave you life, Pinocchio, when you were not supposed to have it. No more than a chair or a table should. As a result, you cannot truly, truly die. Oh boy, oh boy! And, and that's good, right? Well, it means that you are not, nor will you ever be, a real boy like Carlo. The one thing that makes human life precious and meaningful, you see, is how brief it is. Oh. Don't get me wrong. You will die many, many times. This being one of them. But they are not real deaths. Just waiting periods. There are rules, you see. Despite my sister's disregard for them. We will both have to wait for the sand to run out. You will stay here with me. A little longer each time you cross. Until the end of time. And then? After that sand runs out? I will simply send you back. Every time. I see. Well, in that case... I'd like to ask you one thing. Uh, ah! See you next time. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Rebel Diorama episode 239, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge hi and welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, welcome back, regular returning listeners. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. And as always, I am delighted to have you here, just generally, but also for the history and legacy of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, the third episode of Animation Season 2024. So what is Animation Season? Well, Animation Season is something that I've done every year of this podcast, actually. In January and February, I basically celebrate animated movies, all types of animated movies, from hand-drawn animation to CG animation, all the way through to stop-motion animation, from all of the different studios. So we're not just talking Disney and Pixar, but basically every animation studio well maybe not every animation studio but the majority of animation studios I try and cover and obviously Netflix is very new to animation they haven't been doing it very long 
But the quality of the stuff that they have put out has actually been very good. And speaking of some of the big studios, Animation Season 2024 started off with Wally, which is obviously a Pixar movie, and How to Train Your Dragon, which is from DreamWorks. And both of those kicked off Animation Season. They are the last two episodes of this podcast. And as always, a huge thank you to everyone who's provided comments and feedback on those episodes. They've been received wonderfully, so that is terrific. And obviously, when it comes to a Pinocchio adaptation, arguably, we don't need a new Pinocchio adaptation especially not in the year 2022 when this movie came out because there were a lot of Pinocchio adaptations in that year. But Guillermo del Toro loves his beautiful monsters, his dark whimsy, his lovingly crafted visuals, and he especially loves the story of Pinocchio. So here's the trailer for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but <laughs> you don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! <gasps> it speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! Ah! We have found him! Our star! Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore. Hello? The wooden boy with the borrowed soul. While you may have eternal life, your loved ones, they do not. You never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. The boy loves you for who you are. Guide him to be good. Stop that! Don't hurt him anymore! You may have no strings, but I control you. Please bring him back to me. Life is such a wonderful gift. <laughs> Geppetto, a grieving father and excellent carpenter, cuts down a tall, solitary pine tree to fashion it into a marionette, the spitting image of his recently deceased son, Carlo. And as the compassionate wood sprite grants Geppetto his one wish, Christening the wooden creation Pinocchio, the freshly carved puppet comes to life to heal Geppetto's broken heart. However, with Benito Mussolini having Italy under his thumb, minuscule guardian Sebastian J. Cricket has his work cut out for him, keeping Pinocchio on the straight and narrow. Now, an exciting world of possibilities opens up. Will wide-eyed Pinocchio stay on the right path and become a real boy? Question mark? Well, let's find out.
We'll run through the cast first. We have Ewan McGregor as Sebastian J. Cricket, David Bradley as Geppetto, Gregory Mann as Pinocchio, Christoph Waltz as Count Volpe, Tilda Swinton as the Wood Sprite and Death, Kate Blanchett as Spazzatura, Ron Perlman as the Podesta, and Finn Wolpard as Candlewick. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio has a screenplay by Guillermo del Toro and Patrick McHale, story by Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins, and was directed by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson, based on the adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi and illustrations by Chris Grimley. Guillermo del Toro once said, quote, No single character in history has had as deep of a personal connection to me as Pinocchio, unquote. And this is coming from a guy who loves his passion projects, so much so that you could arguably say that every Guillermo del Toro project is a passion project. He loves the fantastical, the magical and the horrific, as does this podcast, because many of his films have actually been featured on this podcast before. Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army and Pacific Rim. He also loves making miracles happen because his version of Pinocchio very almost didn't make it to the screen at all. Like so many other passion projects for the director that, for whatever reason, just didn't materialise. Most famously, his version of The Hobbit, which he worked on with Peter Jackson for two years, even moving his family out to New Zealand. While we did get The Hobbit, three of them, actually, most of his ideas and designs were removed to make them more in line with Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Considering The Hobbit movies were not great, arguably that can only be a bad thing. Also something that did get made, but without Del Toro's directorial involvement, was The Witches, which he envisaged, like Pinocchio, as a stop-motion animation. It would still get made, directed by Robert Zemeckis and starring Anne Hathaway. Del Toro was still credited on the screenplay and as a producer. But he also tried for years to get At the Mountains of Madness made, despite the involvement of James Cameron and Tom Cruise on his side. The Haunted Mansion was another that was made recently in 2023, but Del Toro's version would have reportedly starred Ryan Gosling. He was in talks with Universal to remake The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which was rejected. Del Toro later used his own ideas to make The Shape of Water. And then there are the sequels to his existing works that never happened. Pacific Rim 2, Don't Talk to Me About Uprising. And obviously The Hellboy 3 that we are still all waiting for, and I'm still so very sad that we never got Hellboy 3. He also talked with Universal about a remake of Frankenstein with his friend and regular collaborator Doug Jones as the eponymous monster. Frankenstein shares many similarities with Pinocchio. They're both about a child that is thrown into the world. They're both created by a father who expects them to figure out what's good, what's bad, ethics, morals, love, and basically how to live on their own. Del Toro consciously based his versions of Geppetto and Pinocchio on Victor Frankenstein and his creation. It took 15 years for Pinocchio to finally reach the screen, in a year with two other Pinocchio adaptations, the Disney live-action remake starring Tom Hanks, directed by Robert Zemeckis, and the Paulie Shaw-led Pinocchio A True Story, a Russian animated adaptation, both of which I have not seen, but I'm never keen on Disney live-action remakes, and the Paulie Shaw movie has been described as, quote, the best animation Windows XP can possibly muster. That actually makes me want to see it because Windows XP was pretty legendary, let's be honest. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is the rare del Toro movie that ended up in development hell, but down to del Toro's sheer resilience and stubbornness and not backing down from his artistic integrity, not only did it get made, it was made exactly how del Toro wanted it to be made as a high-quality stop-motion animation project. 
Obviously, the story starts with Carlo Collodi's fairy tale novel, Me Adventure di Pinocchio, Storia di un Puritino, or The Adventures of Pinocchio, Story of a Puppet, which was first published in serial form as The Story of a Puppet, La Storia di un Burattino e Giornal per i Bambini, one of the earliest weekly magazines for children in Italy in July 1881. After the story stopped with Chapter 15, High Demand was resumed the stories in February 1882, and in February 1883, the story was published as a single book. Pinocchio has become one of the world's most translated books, 260 languages according to UNESCO sources and it's also likely one of the best-selling books ever published but total sales are actually unknown. It entered the public domain in 1940 and because of this there's a lot of Pinocchio movies. Starting with a silent film in 1911 part of which has been lost called The Adventures of Pinocchio. Disney's 1940 Pinocchio is the most widely known version of the story and one of the most widely known Disney movies full stop, and the second Disney animated feature after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. When You Wish Upon a Star became the iconic Walt Disney Pictures logo music, and it has been now for almost 40 years. Everyone has a personal connection with Pinocchio. It's a story everyone knows, often realised in animation due to the ease of telling it, because as I always say on this podcast, anything is possible with animation, not so much with live action. And Del Toro's connection defined his childhood, along with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. According to Del Toro, Pinocchio is one of only a handful of characters in the history of storytelling that he considers universal and endlessly adaptable. Using traditional stop motion for Pinocchio might not seem all that new. However, Del Toro refused to tell the story any other way because it was so fundamental to his idea, even if it meant declining possible funding. Studios frequently made counter-offers to Del Toro to do it in CG that resembled stop-motion, but he always refused. In preparation to direct an animated feature himself, Del Toro apprenticed, and I use that term in inverted commas, with DreamWorks on the productions of Puss in Boots and Kung Fu Panda 3. Keeping stop-motion alive as an art form in cinema was a contributing factor. As I've said before on this podcast, talking about stop-motion movies made by Aardman and Leica, They are incredibly expensive to make. They are very labour-intensive. Stop-motion is by far the most difficult way to animate. But stop-motion was woven into the very fabric of the movie in Del Toro's creative mind. What better way to tell the story of a puppet brought to life than by using an art form in which puppets are brought to life? Del Toro's first animated shorts were actually stop-motion before he made Kronos in 1992. And so this is the culmination of decades' worth of love for the art form of stop motion and love for the story of Pinocchio. But first, he needed to find a way to bring the design of Pinocchio to life. He came upon Gris Grimley's illustrations for the 2002 edition of Pinocchio in 2008. These illustrations showed the wooden boy as much more impish and far less polished than earlier iterations. He presented Grimley with the idea and suggested that the artist co-direct the movie with Mark Gustafsson, whom Del Toro had greatly admired for his work as animation director on Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is episode 84 of this podcast, by the way. Del Toro enlisted British puppet creators McKinnon and Saunders to create early prototypes for the movie. And this was still back in 2008, just after the team had worked on Fantastic Mr. Fox. And they went ahead and produced an animation test. This animation test would resurface 12 years later as a crew of collaborators including McKinnon and Saunders in Manchester, Shadow Machine in Portland, and a team in Del Toro's hometown of Guadalajara in Mexico, 
worked simultaneously on Pinocchio. In 2011, a screenplay was co-written by Del Toro and Matthew Robbins, his collaborator on Mimic and Crimson Peak, with funding for the development of the screenplay provided by Lisa Henson of the Jim Henson Company. Developing the idea of Pinocchio as the product of Geppetto's grief over the death of his child, he set the story in fascist Italy. The Jim Henson Company, along with Pathé, would produce, alongside Del Toro, and grimly designed Pinocchio as unfinished wood with splinters and protruding nails. This version of the screenplay was, according to Del Toro, impossible to finance. Grimley stepped down from co-directing duties in 2012 and Del Toro stepped up alongside Gustafsson, releasing concept art for his vision. But by 2014, the movie fell into development hell with a struggle to find anyone to fund his lavish vision. It would be a few years before further announcements were made with Patrick McHale brought in to co-write a new script with Del Toro but with a new script came a new budget, estimated at $35 million. Together, Del Toro and Michele wanted to explore the fascism of 1930s Italy, and by doing so, hoped to draw direct parallels to today with authoritarianism and protests against it on the rise throughout the world. To, quote, embrace imperfection and embrace freedom as antidotes to suffocating dictatorship, unquote. But with development hell, all hope seemed lost with Del Toro refusing to scale down production or make it cheaply. The one thing they had in their armoury was a completed script, and with that and the power of the name Guillermo Del Toro came a willingness from Netflix to finance Pinocchio. Netflix were looking to expand the scope of their animation, both in-house and from external sources, something we're also going to touch on for the next episode too. But Pinocchio was arguably the biggest and most prestigious picture on Netflix's slate. Let's not forget 2022 Netflix also gave us Apollo 10 and a half from acclaimed director Richard Linklater, Wendell and Wilde from acclaimed director Henry Selick, My Father's Dragon from acclaimed studio Cartoon Saloon and fellow Academy Award nominee The Sea Beast. This was an incredible selection of animated features from Netflix just that year and Pinocchio was not going to be a cheap production. McKinnon and Saunders puppets are some of the best in the business for Corpse Bride, they invented systems of tiny gears that fit inside the heads of puppets, revolutionising stop-motion technology and pushing it in a completely new direction. Animators would create subtle changes in expression by adjusting the gears between frames using a tiny tool in the ear to create a smile, a frown or anger. It was used again on Fantastic Mr Fox and Frankenweenie. It took stop-motion beyond the claymation of creature comforts and the multitude of facial replacements of The Nightmare Before Christmas. And it was alumni from McKinnon and Saunders working on Pinocchio that again pushed the technology forward. Georgina Haynes was Director of Character Fabrication at Shadowworks, having spent her career working in animation. First as a work placement with Cosgrove Hall Films. If you're British and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you know who Cosgrove Hall is. Cosgrove Hall were the foundations of McKinnon and Saunders. Haynes was contacted by Henry Selick directly after her work on Corpse Bride inviting her to work with him at Leica, where she worked on The Box Trolls, Paranorman, Kubo and the Two Strings and Missing Link. Her links back to McKinnon and Saunders led to her being recommended by them for her work and Haynes was recruited by Shadow Machine to lead the puppet department. While the filmmakers mostly used the McKinnon and Saunders way of internal face mechanics with silicone skin, there was one character they couldn't do that with, and that was Pinocchio himself. He was actually animated with replacement facial parts because Pinocchio is a wooden puppet. Wooden puppets don't have flexible faces. Pinocchio has to appear like he is actually made of wood, 
and early tests with the silicon skin made his face look rubbery. The nine and a half inch puppet would end up having 3,000 faces created using a 3D printer. He also had a revolutionary 3D printed metal armature that could be drilled or soldered into, the first metal 3D printed puppet. His back was metal printed and his front was 3D printed plastic, coloured as wood grain. The studio spent a year and a half prototyping Pinocchio before making the first production model. Eventually, more than 20 puppets were built to ensure the animation team had enough. Haynes would oversee the art direction of all of the puppets across three locations. Manchester at McKinnon and Saunders, at Shadow Machine in Portland, Oregon. And because Del Toro likes to support local Mexican industry, his vision included shooting part of Pinocchio in his hometown of Guadalajara. Del Toro never set out to make perfection, which seems counterproductive, but he sees the beauty in imperfection. He sees the beauty in monsters. And when it came to the design for Pinocchio, he eschewed computers for one major reason. Computers struggle with imperfection. They could never replicate a fingerprint in claymation or a slightly asymmetrical face. Pinocchio himself as a character created in a drunken stupor is unfinished and this resonates in his asymmetry. It was watching My Neighbor Totoro that gave Del Toro inspiration, watching the father try to put shoes on his daughter, missing it twice and getting it on the third try. Del Toro would say, quote, Miyazaki says if you animate the ordinary, it will be extraordinary. So we went for failed act because we wanted to breathe life into these characters, unquote. He estimated that 35 shots had to be redone because, quote, we said the character is moving, but I don't see the character thinking or feeling. The little failed gestures or hesitations before a movement tell you this is a living character, unquote. They also had to consider the time period, 1930s fascist Italy, and include the real-life leader, Benito Mussolini, in the designs, ensuring things like fabrics for clothing were era-appropriate, and creating those clothing items in miniature and using them at scale. One of the incredible things about Pinocchio is the sheer level of detail in every frame, but also the sheer complexity of some scenes. There are at least 20 people working on a single puppet. Sculptor, a mould maker, someone who casts all the flesh parts of silicone or foam latex, an armature maker who creates the skeleton. They're all required for any major character. The riggers have to communicate to the armature makers if the costume includes any external components, such as the flowing fabric that must then be connected to the armature. The other characters that posed mechanical challenges were Spatsatora and Sebastian J. Cricket. Spatsatora's head was tiny, but they still wanted expressive facial movements, so they designed him as a hybrid with an upper mechanical part of his head and 3D printed mouth replacements. Cricket has an exoskeleton, so he was made of 3D printed sections for his head, but the rest of him was hard resin silicon. They made a nine and a half inch main cricket to perform, in some cases alongside an incredibly large scale Pinocchio head for shots of both characters. Smaller crickets were created for long shots. They also had to make stunt crickets for all the funny scenes where he squashed on multiple occasions throughout the movie. Del Toro has openly admired the work of Ray Harryhausen and Willis O'Brien and the dogfish puppet is made with much the same technique that was used for the original King Kong. They made a traditional ball and socket joint for the armature, cast in foam latex. Obviously, though, they couldn't shoot with real water, so this was one of the few instances where CG water and digital techniques were used to complete the scene with the dogfish. Every character sound in the world had to be made from scratch because, surprise, surprise, animation lacks production sound, unlike a live-action set. Supervising sound editor and designer Scott Gershon 
another Del Toro alum from Pacific Rim, used a lot of wood to create the sounds of Pinocchio moving, including maple, mahogany and rosewood guitar woods. In addition to foley work and library sounds like metal squeaks and rubber squeaks to show the fragility of Pinocchio, his creaks and the fact that he's very loosely put together. Meticulous work also went into the overall production design. Co-production designer Guy Davis, who shared the production designer responsibilities with Kurt Endel, said that they researched villages in northern Italy during the time period, and Geppetto's town is ultimately an amalgam of various places and inspiration, weathered and textured. The incredible voice cast was a mix of Del Toro regulars like Ron Perlman and Bern Gorman, alongside 10-year-old Gregory Mann as Pinocchio. Mann beat hundreds of young boys for the role. Del Toro had worked with David Bradley before on The Strain and Troll Hunters, and rounded out the outstanding cast with the likes of Ewan McGregor, Christoph Waltz and Tilda Swinton. Kate Blanchett had been working with Del Toro on Nightmare Alley, which shares a lot of similarities with Pinocchio in regards to production design as well. Blanchett wanted to work with Del Toro again, and he told her he was working on Pinocchio. But he only had one role left to cast, that of Spazzatura the monkey. And that is why Kate Blanchett plays a monkey in this movie. And if you're wondering why at the end of the movie there is no real boy, Del Toro explains it as follows, quote, Everybody learns from him as opposed to him learning from everybody. You don't have to change who you are to be loved. You don't have to turn into a real boy through obedience to be loved. And speaking of real boys, we're going to segue into the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. And what that is, is I try to link every movie that I feature, including the animated ones, to Keanu Reeves for no reason other than he is genuinely the best of men. And this week, the obligatory Keanu reference was always going to be a little bit tricky because it always is with animated stuff. And it's very hard to make them unique every single time, although I do try to do so. But I think I found a blinder for this episode because did you know Keanu worked not on this Pinocchio, but on one of the other 2022 Pinocchios? The Disney live action Pinocchio directed by Robert Zemeckis has Keanu in the crew. I mean, it's not the Keanu because that would be pretty ridiculous, but it is a Keanu. There is a guy in the crew called Keanu Bruard and he was the virtual production TD meaning they were in charge of virtual camera shots and prepping virtual production. They've also worked on Tenet, No Time to Die, and Fast and Furious 9. It's a pretty cool coincidence, and it's a pretty cool name to give your kid, who then goes to work in Hollywood themselves. Back when Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was in its infancy in 2012, musician Nick Cave was reportedly in talks to be involved with the music. This never materialised, and then the film went into development hell. But then Netflix revived it, but Cave was never considered for the music again. Instead, Alexandra Desplat, who worked with Del Toro on The Shape of Water, composed the score, with Desplat's friend and lyricist Robin Katz contributing to the songs, and they took inspiration from the works of the Sherman Brothers and Richard Rogers. It was Del Toro who wrote My Son, with him and Katz collaborating on Ciao Papa, with the song nominated for a Golden Globe. The score was also nominated for a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for Best Original Score. So through the many, many years of the start of this movie, going through development hell, Netflix finally announced in November 2018 that the movie would be released in 2021. In January 2021, Ted Sarandos, the CEO of Netflix, stated that the release could be pushed back to 2022 or later, given Netflix's plan to release six animated movies annually. 
Del Toro announced in December 2021 that it would be out in the final quarter of 2022. Following the release of the trailers in January and July 2022, the movie was scheduled for release in December 2022. And most importantly, the movie was going to be coming out both theatrically and on Netflix. And theatrical release is important for awards consideration, which we're going to come to. On the 15th of October 2022, Pinocchio made its theatrical debut at the 66th BFI London Film Festival. On the 5th of November 2022, it made its US premiere at the 2022 AFI Fest. On the 9th of November 2022, it was released in selected cinemas. And on the 9th of December 2022, Netflix released it on their streaming service. Over its first seven days of digital release, it logged 10.91 million hours viewed worldwide and its theatrical gross worldwide was $109,846. And although that figure seems pretty small, that obviously doesn't take into account any financial information from Netflix. But considering the popularity of the movie on the streaming service, I take a guess and say that they spent their $35 million wisely. Obviously, Pinocchio went on to receive huge critical acclaim for its animation, visuals, music, story, emotional weight and voice acting. It currently sits at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pinocchio received three nominations at the Golden Globes and BAFTA Awards, winning Best Animated Feature Film and Best Animated Film, respectively, and nine Annie Award nominations, winning five, including Best Animated Feature. It also won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature over Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Sea Beast and Turning Red. It became the first animated film from a streaming service to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar, the first non-Disney Pixar film since Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the second Pinocchio adaptation after Disney's and the second stop-motion film after Wallace and Gromit The Curse of the Were-Rabbit to win the Academy Award. Out of 80 total nominations, Pinocchio won 35. And unsurprisingly, there's not a Pinocchio sequel coming because where else can this story go? But there is a new Guillermo del Toro animation project in Netflix, a co-production again with Shadow Machine, based on a novel by Kazuo Ishiguro called The Berry Giant, which already sounds brilliant. This was announced in January 2023, so is in the very early stages of development. But hopefully we will get that at some point in the future on Netflix. When a new version of an existing story is released, most of the time it tends to draw scepticism. How many times can you tell the same stories over and over? Well, as Hollywood will tell you countless times, but when an adaptation comes along that can tell a well-known story, but tell it in a unique, interesting and surprising way, it breathes new life into that well-worn tale. It can almost become the definitive version of that tale, if it's powerful enough. Disney's Pinocchio has long been the Pinocchio, the one other Pinocchios wanted to be. But compared to this, it feels a little bit safe, a little bit sanitised and maybe a little bit cutesy. Even Disney wanted its 2022 live action remake to become the Pinocchio. But maybe Guillermo del Toro has finally made the definitive Pinocchio. Thematically profound, beautifully animated and realised, full of emotional resonance, and a story about a puppet actually being a story about being human all along. And this is a podcast. It's virtually impossible for me to go into the visual splendour of this movie in any sort of way that befits what the crew actually achieved. So I would wholeheartedly recommend the behind-the-scenes documentary on Netflix. It is a wonderful documentary. It's only half an hour. 
but it's probably one of the best half an hour you're ever going to spend after the two hours of watching Pinocchio. At the end of Pinocchio, Geppetto gives his son this flawed, imperfect, beautiful puppet, an affectionate, loving embrace. And it's a message that speaks volumes. Pinocchio may not be his flesh and blood son, but he is his son. And this is a story about death, about grief, about love, about finding your purpose, and about appreciating how fragile life can be. The love can't have conditions of obedience. Love doesn't mean exploitation. The true monsters are almost always the adults, something that many of Del Toro's films explore. The parallels between Pinocchio and his magnum opus Pan's Labyrinth are vividly clear. This movie is animated, but not all animation is for children, as I always say on this podcast. And while older children can enjoy the movie, its dark themes of fascism, war, child abuse and child soldiers may either go over most kids' heads or make some ask questions about what it all means. A movie like Pinocchio is a gift. An extraordinary achievement in animated film is a gift. And one of the many mansions of this podcast has always been recognising the magic that results from an extraordinary group of people coming together to share a vision and working towards realising it. That's why Animation Season exists. That's why this podcast exists. To celebrate movies like this, movies that push boundaries of story, character, technology and craftsmanship. Del Toro is one of only few major directors constantly pushing for animation, championing it as an art form and promoting animation in a period where studios like Disney want to prioritise live action remakes over their animated output. I'll leave you with one of my favourite quotes from him. Quote, stop motion is to live action what Ginger Rogers is to Fred Astaire. We do the same steps backwards in high heels, unquote. And if that doesn't tell you how much we should value animation, and especially stop-motion animation, how we should treasure these projects and support them, then I don't know what will. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And thank you, as always, for your continued support of this podcast. If you want to get involved and you want to help this podcast grow, then you can simply tell a friend or family member about this podcast. You could leave a rating or review wherever you found this episode. Or you can find me and follow me on social media and you can share posts and like posts on whichever social media platform you prefer. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky and Letterboxd. And if you like this episode on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I've mentioned quite a few other episodes in this podcast already. I've done episodes on Corpse Bride, Fantastic Mr. Fox, quite a few Ardman projects, quite a few Leica projects. There's also a load of Del Toro stuff in there. Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Pacific Rim. Far too many to recommend in just one section. But if you have a look in your podcast app, you will find all sorts of stop motion animation episodes in there. And I recommend that you watch all those movies and listen to the episodes too. So the next episode, the first two movies of animation season, Wally and How to Train Your Dragon, had several links between them. Not only just because they were major studio movies, but also thematically and some little interesting animation links there as well. Pinocchio shares many similarities with the next movie in the season. And it's not just the fact that they're both on Netflix. 2022 gave us Pinocchio on Netflix and 2023 gave us Nimona, based on a graphic novel by N.D. Stevenson, who also gave us the excellent She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, by the way. Nimona, like Pinocchio, very almost didn't make it to the big or small screen at all. 
So let's go into that story in the next episode. And if you've not seen Nimona, go watch it on Netflix right now because it's terrific. So please join me next week for the history and legacy of Nimona. And as always, like I say, thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for supporting this podcast because by listening, you are supporting this podcast. If you do want to help a little bit more and you have a little bit of spare change in your pocket, then you can support the show financially if you wish, but you are under no obligation as always. You can do that one of two ways. You can go to verbaldiorama.com slash tips and give a one-off tip, or you could go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can join the amazing group of patrons. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Stuart, Nicholas, So. Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Stu, Brett, Philip, Michelle, and Zenos. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, you can. You can go to verbaldiorama.com, you can fill out the contact form, or you can just simply send me an email, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi, you can give me feedback, and you can also give me suggestions. Or you can just find me on social media, and you can send me a DM, or just reply to a tweet. Yes, it's still a tweet, because I'm still calling it Twitter, so it's still a tweet. What else is it going to be? An XE? And I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. You can also find my work at filmstories.co.uk. You can find copies of the magazine that I write for. And you can also find articles as well. And finally. Ciao, papa. Mio, papa. Time has come to say farewell. For how long will I go? Is it far? No one knows, no one can tell If I am gone for a long, long time I'll pack away a fine piece of shine The sounds of birds jumping with bells Draw rings of plums to bags of shells The smell of bread, a drum Bye. Movie should know. Movie should talk. Critical